Welcome to the Southbridge Church Podcast, where our mission is leading people to find and follow Jesus. We're thrilled that you are here, and it's our hope that this message will lead you to find and follow Jesus. We're in a new series that we are entitling My Financial Breakthrough. And I've been looking at what is happening in our economy, what's been happening in our culture, and it's astounding the amount of financial breakthrough that people actually need. The average American is in $7,900 of credit card debt. That's the average. Some of you may have more, but that's just the average credit card debt. Also, the average car payment is $700 a month. You see rising costs of housing. You see rising costs of groceries. I mean, just trying to go and get a Thanksgiving dinner is going to cost you much more than it ever has before. And so maybe you're trying to say, Lord, our church is in this pledge campaign and I want to be able to contribute and be a part of it. But how do I do that with all of my expenses on the rise? And maybe you say, you know what? I have dreams to send my kids to college and they not have to pull a student loan. Maybe you have a dream to own your own home. Maybe you have the dream to start your own business. Maybe you have a dream to retire your parents. Or maybe you have a dream that you're going to travel the world and maybe help people. I don't know what your dream might be, but whatever your dream is, it's going to take some money. And today, it seems like people have less and less money. And I know maybe you come to church, you're thinking, I don't want the church to talk about money. But I want you to know the Bible has a lot to say about money. As a matter of fact, last week we looked at this verse and I'm going to put it back up on the screen because it just kind of sums up everything. It's Isaiah 48 verse 17. If you didn't know that this is in the Bible, here it is. We'll put it up here on the screen. Isaiah 48, 17 says, thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you to what? Profit. God wants to teach you something about money. God wants to help you with it. And I'm kind of tired of seeing the church broke and broken. I don't believe for a second that God wants you to stay broke and broken. I believe that God wants to help you in this area. And I believe our church, not only are we in a pledge capital campaign season, but we're also in a season where I want to go to God's word and help you with your finances. And help you to see that God has a plan because I believe each and every one of us should have a theology about money. You say, what do you mean a theology about money? You have a theology, you have a teaching, you have principles that you live your life by. But do you have a theology for your money? Or is it you just kind of spend every dollar you make? Is it if you just see something you want, you just flash a little plastic and get it? Or you just cash out Venmo it? Or whenever you're hungry for something, you just go and say, I'm going to just get it. We live in a very consumeristic culture. And it seems that it's just kind of run rampant. Where I am seeing people spending money they do not have to impress people they do not like. And we've got to dial it back and say, how does God want me to deal with my finances? And we said this last week, money won't make us, but money can break us. There's great kingdom work that you want to be a part of. It takes money. Where God has a vision, it requires provision. And so we need to step back and say, okay, how can I be wise about my finances? What does God's word have for me that will help me? Because I, I want to be successful. And I feel like that's where you want to be. And I'll say this right from the very get-go. If you will be teachable, you will be successful. Let me say it again. If you will be teachable, you will be successful. The, the problem I have is when I teach a series, and it happened last week, I'm teaching biblical principles, then somebody comes up to me right after the service and gives me the excuses why they can't do it. But here's the thing. I'm giving you principles that for the last 17 years I've lived my own life by. And I share principles with you that have transformed my life. And I've lived in the same barrier that you have. I've seen the cost go up. I've had three children. I've got them in private school. I'm trying to do all the same things. But there's some things about my life that I've changed and I've had to do differently. And I've had to focus on biblical principles. Because I've developed a theology about money. 
And this morning, I want to go into part two of a theology about money. Because when it comes to money, God wants you to have an income. God wants you to leave an inheritance. And God wants you to have influence. And all three of those take money. And so the church can't look at money as like, ooh, it's gross, it's terrible. But yet all the while we have debt and we're in bondage to it. And there's things that we want to be a part of. Our church will take missions trips and people will come to me and say, oh, I'd love to go there. I just, I just couldn't afford it. How would you like it that when a need pops up that you say, I can help with that? Chris Osuna, she's headed to Japan in a week and a half and she has a need of $3,000. She sent me an email. She said, what can we do? And I'm like, oh, we could do something about that. A pastor who works on the border in Texas, and he has a ministry not only in Texas, but also on the other side of the border because he's right there on the border. He said, hey, we have this need. And somebody said that they will do a $20,000 matching fund. Can you be a part of it? And I said, yes, I could be a part of that. Do you know why I can say yes and Jane and I can say yes to these things? Because we have a theology about money. And our theology has safeguarded us. We save money because when you save money, your money can save you. Let me say it again. If you save money, your money can save you. Because everybody's car is going to have a flat. Everybody's going to have a medical bill. Everybody, whether it's a rental house or your house, is going to have some type of emergency. Your kid's going to do something that's going to require money. Something's going to happen where you're going to need money. And you're going to be glad you save some money. But most of us, sadly, we don't know how to save money. It, it, money just kind of just seeps through. It just, it just leaks through us. And I want to say this. A financial breakthrough is hard because it requires a behavior change. Some of you want to just go to your boss and say, my boss just needs to add an extra zero to my paycheck. And that would just solve all of it. I love that idea, but when it comes to a financial breakthrough, that may be what you're praying for, and I'll pray with you for that. However, the reality is quite different, isn't it? It's that you probably need to spend less than you make. But you say, Micaiah, that's so hard. Have you seen the cost of groceries? I just noticed that food is getting smaller and smaller in the packaging, but I'm paying a little bit more and more and more. I bought granola bars, and I was looking at the granola bars, and they looked like fun-sized granola bars, but yet Costco still charges me the same. I said, what happened to the granola bars? They're shrinking, because I'm not getting any bigger. What's going on? You just notice what's happening, and it's because of the financial strain. So we need to step back, but understand, breakthrough in our finances come after breakdown moments. 2007, I shared with you the story. I was working for a cell phone carrier, and I was all excited because I was number one. I was making some good money. And I decided to take everybody out for Starbucks. Remember from last week? If you didn't, I'll fill you in real quick. I pulled out my card and I was going to pay for everybody Starbucks. And then we swiped the plastic. And then the barista politely and kindly said, it was declined. So I said, oh, you know, you rub it on your clothes. You try again. Declined. So oh, third time, come on. Luckily, my manager bailed me out. The district manager bailed me out. You know, it took me a while, but that wasn't the last time that happened to me. But in 2007, I was like, I am tired of being broke. I drove a car that was made in the 90s. This car was a Ford Escort Coupe. It was booger green. And everybody at the ministry that I worked called it the green booger. There were people that would come up to me and say, oh, I don't even want to park by you. It's such an ugly car. I was like, man, you don't like me and you don't like my car. What's going on? But my car was ugly. It was super ugly. All right. Somebody had backed up their truck and didn't, it was, it was a lifted truck. So they bent the hood in and they just took off. So the hood was bent in, had all kinds of problems. I was downtown off of Taylor Street and they have high curbs. And I was taking a buddy of mine who was, uh, let's just say, twice the size of me. And he was in the passenger side and I got in and he got in, but the door was still open. And when he got in, this little Ford Escort coupe went like this, but the door was open on the curb. So the door was open on the curb. He got in, it sunk down, the door did this. And I didn't have those nice, cool little Knight Rider doors or anything like that. That's not what I had. And then he, instead of getting out of the car, starts scraping the door on the cement to shut it. So my door never shut right. So this is the car that I had. Many people wonder how I kept my virginity till I was married. The car helped, okay? I'm just telling you, all right? Okay, you get a car like that, I'm telling you, you'll keep your purity. 
Wow, wow, there we go. Did I wake you up this morning? Some of you just look a little bit sleepy. But I got tired of being broke. So I went to somebody in the church because Proverbs says that in the multitude counselors, there's safety. So I went to the church that I attended and I looked for somebody who looked like they did well financially. And I said, can I buy you lunch? And can I ask you some questions? And then I checked the bank before I took them to lunch. I said, oh man, I, I hope this works out. Take him to lunch. He and his wife turns out that he was second in charge of Star One Credit Union, our local credit union. Sat down with him and I said, hey, I, I, I'm a wreck. My finances are a wreck. So he started helping me. And then shortly, we just went through these biblical principles. He gave me a theology about money because I thought money was purely just a financial thing. And he taught me it's a biblical thing. He said, how much are you giving to God? I said, I can't afford to give to God. He said, okay, well, we got to start there. He said, let me see your budget. I said, I, I don't have a budget. I don't have a budget. He said, oh, okay, all right. Well, where do you allocate your expenses? I was like, an expense comes up, I just pay it. And then I try to not answer the, credit and the calls from the credit cards. And I try not to open letters that look like they could be bills. And then I changed my address a couple times, so hopefully the collectors can't catch up to me for a while. I said, that's my theology of money. He said, yeah, we got to fix that. He said, what's your credit score? I said, I'm sure it's in the negatives. What's it supposed to be? I don't know, 100? My credit was shot, y'all. There was a library in Boron, California that had sent me to collections. I didn't know libraries send people to collections. But a little librarian in Boron, California found me and sent me to collections. Hollywood Video, this is how sad it was, sent me to collections. Hollywood Video had already declared bankruptcy, but somehow they were still trying to collect money out of me. Can I just tell you, it was a sad state of affairs, my friend. But God, through the wisdom of others and getting the theology of money, really helped me turn it around. Your Bible's open to John chapter number 12. Let's notice if we would, verse number one. Verse number one. The Bible says this. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. I need you to touch your neighbor this morning and say, it smells like money. It smells like money. It smells like money. I want to pray again over this message because... I have so many truths I want to share because I believe it could change your financial future and that of your children and your grandchildren. So let me just pray. Father, I know that there are people here that they want to change in their finances. Their finances were a lot like mine and they don't know what to do, but they're here. And I believe your word can set them on the right path. I believe there's young people that they haven't messed up their credit. Their, their financial future right now is looking good. But I pray that they would have a theology about money. And so help us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. 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 I love the fact that we have in this story two different types of people in the same family. Lazarus, a few chapters prior, had died. How many of you remember that? Lazarus had died. This is that Lazarus. That Jesus comes four days late and he resurrects Lazarus. That's the same guy. Now, Lazarus has two sisters, Martha and Mary. Martha loved to cook and to clean and to be busy. Martha was kind of one of those entrepreneurial type spirits. Mary, on the other hand, just wanted to bask and sit and listen at the feet of Jesus. And yet we see two different types of people. There's something that is said of Lazarus when he died. People didn't want to remove the stone because they said, Lord, it's been four days. If we let Lazarus out, he's going to smell. He stinks. Leave him there. But yet Mary, she has a pleasant odor, a pleasant aroma. I want to let you know something, that finances have a fragrance. That it can be a sweet smell to those around you. 
I love a scripture that is found in Proverbs. It says this, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So I need you to help and participate with me. Would you stick your arms out like this this morning? Would you stick your arms out? Just stretch them out for a second and say the world of the larger of the, of the generous gets larger and larger. Come on, stretch your hands. Larger and larger and larger. Are you hitting anybody? You're hitting people, aren't you? Listen, listen, get, here's the point. The generous can't help but touch other people's lives. Yeah. Your generosity can't help but bless others. And that's what you need to understand. God is not here just to dump a wad of cash on top of you as a cash grab at some casino. What God is trying to do is to get you in the position where you can touch other people's lives. It isn't that what you want. It's what I want. I want to be able to touch lives. I want to be able to help not just my family, but other families. And I don't just want to help my generation, but generations to come. And to do that, it's going to take some finances. And to do that, you're going to have to get on a budget. And so the world of the generous gets larger and larger but the verse goes on to say but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and smaller they're small people i've never seen a complaining stingy person change the world it's always been the generous and god wants a church filled with generous people and maybe you're sitting here you're saying i want to be generous but i don't have anything to be generous with well i'm glad you're here today because we want to help you with that because I gave us some principles about finances, a theology of money. First of all, we need to make money God's way. That's what we talked about last week. Make money God's way. There's a right way and a wrong way to make money. Culture is going to give you lots of opportunities to take advantage of others. I know this may offend you, but I like certain systems of economics. One of the systems that I like is capitalism. And today, many people look at capitalism and they say, oh, true, terrible. And I'm saying, I know why you think that. You think that because you've seen some fat cats take advantage of everybody else. That's why you have a problem with it. But if you understand trickle-down economics, if you understand how it works, you wouldn't hate it. You just have seen some very greedy people take advantage of a system. And I could say that about any system, there's always somebody who could take advantage of it, who could ruin it. Now, don't get hung up on a political statement. I'm just here to tell you there's these systems that I like. Now, when I make money honestly and ethically, and I treat my employees and those around me well, then everybody benefits from it. So we need to understand, we got to make money God's way. That's an easy principle. Make it God's way. Secondly, I need to move it. God's way. If you take $10,000 and you hide it in your mattress, that $10,000 buying power is diminishing each and every day. If you were to take that $10,000 you stuffed in your mattress and then 10 years later, you try to go buy something with it, can you buy more or less? Less. Its buying power is diminished. So we need to understand that when it comes to finances, you make money when your money's moving through the system. It can move into a CD, a Roth IRA, pre-tax. You got to keep your money moving into a hard asset, something that is not diminishing. I'm not opposed to you having some liquid cash, but understand money makes money when it moves. Money makes money when it moves. It's got to move through the system. It's how the system's designed. You say, well, the system sucks. Burn it down. I'm telling you, these are some principles. Now, if you will be teachable, you'll be successful. But if you're like, no, 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 then no, no problem. No problem. You, you can keep doing it the way you want to. And then we also understand number three, we need to manage it God's way. Then number four, we need to multiply it God's way. I gave you four M's, and this morning we're going to focus on managing it God's way. That's what this verse has. Because think about it. Where did Mary get the money to buy the expensive spikenard? Because later on in the same passage, we're going to see somebody who's going to tell us how much it's worth. So let's go back to our passage. John chapter number 12, notice verse number four. Here, this woman Mary has just done this generous act. And notice what happens. Verse 4, but one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot. Oh, we're, we know about Judas. Not a very good guy. Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was not this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
300 denarii. This is over a year's wage. That's how much this little bottle of perfume cost. Over a year's wage. That's a lot of money on that perfume. Talk about Chanel number five. I mean, this is really expensive stuff that she had just anointed the feet of Jesus. But the Bible goes on, verse six. This he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the money box and he used it to take what was put in. Remember, we need to make money God's way. Judas doesn't make money God's way, does he? He's a thief. He's a thief. And then verse seven, but Jesus said, let her alone. She's kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. I find it interesting. It's easy to demonize people that have finances, isn't it? Isn't that what Judas does? He demonizes the person that has money. Our culture, what's happening today? We're demonizing the people with money. That we have this false notion, and if I'm getting pushed back from you, that's fine, because that's what culture is pushing on us. That is the top 1%. If the top 1% would just give us their money. Folks, go and do a Google search and find out how many people that won the lottery, their lives are good. The lottery has destroyed more lives you just hand somebody money, that's not ma- management. We need to understand something. And I want you to get this. First and foremost, God doesn't give based on what he has. God gives based on what you can handle. God doesn't give based on what he has because God has it all. God has everything you could possibly imagine. So God does not withhold from you because God does not have enough. God withholds from you because you can't handle it. Come on, we, do, we, we get this principle. You do not hand a child keys to your car. You do not hand your shotgun to your child. There are certain things you don't do because they can't handle it. God is looking at you and saying, do you have a theology for your money? Because until you have a theology for your money, God can't hand it to you because you can't handle it. God wants you to be able to handle the money. So it starts with a budget. It starts with, what do I do with my money? Can God trust me? Can, can, can God... Be one to say, look, I see Micaiah, see the way I steward resources to him. I want to keep giving it to him. There's a great passage of scripture in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is giving a parable and he starts giving out talents. In this passage, it calls it bags of gold. And oh man, don't we all want God to be able to pour out some bags of gold? But here's what the scripture says. He said this in verse 15, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags of gold, and to another one bag. Notice this, each according to his ability. So the next time you see somebody in the C-suite and you say, man, they're just a thief and a crook. My friend, you do not have to be a Christian for Christian principles to work for you. You don't have to be a Christian to make these principles. Many times you will find that these people that are successful with money, even though they may hate God, blaspheme God, want nothing to do with God, you will find as you peer under the hood, they've got some biblical principles. They know how to save, they know how to invest, they know how to make it, they know how to move it, and then they know how to manage it, and then they know how to multiply it. If you will work these principles, these principles will work for you. But we live in a culture that says it's that person's fault. They don't pay me enough, even though all the while we are buying things we cannot afford with money we do not have to impress people we do not like, not understanding that we're in a country that for the time being allows you to leave that job that you don't like, leave that boss you don't like, and march down the street and go get a job you do like. You can go to college almost for free, learn a different skill, and make more money. That's incredible. Try that in other places of the world. You are stuck. You and I carry around these phones with these tablets. Have you seen what goes on in the Congo to get the cobalt that goes into these devices? They make less than a dollar a day. And yet you and I want to complain that it's not a fair system. My friend, it is not a fair system, but it's a far better system than most. And yet you and I cannot be one to step back and just complain about the system. Instead, we need to understand that God has it. It's not about availability. It's about our ability. There are certain markets I don't understand, so I don't invest in. Real estate's a thing I understand, so I invest in it. There are certain things that I know that's what I do. Find something, learn about it, and go make some money there. 
But yet the church, we just step back and we've got this whole kind of, we, we love people and want to help people and we just think it's our job to just dole out hundreds to everybody. If you grab these principles, I believe you can work these and they will work for you. There's no reason you shouldn't own a home in the Bay Area. None whatsoever. Now, some of you just heard that and that just went in one ear and out the other. And I'm going to say it again. There is no reason you should not own a home in the Bay Area. You say, oh, I knew it. He's a prosperity preacher. No. If you have your phone and you want to make $250,000 and you make less as a family of five than $225,000, the county of Santa Clara will give you $250,000 to go buy yourself a home. They will give it to you, 0% interest for a 30-year fixed loan. I looked up the website this morning. There's no reason you can't own a home. You say, oh, you don't understand. There's bidding war. There's this and there's that. Stop with the excuses. Come on, just stop it. Just stop it. Just stop right now. That, that right there, remember poverty is a mentality? You got to stop that. Like there's one thing I want to just rebuke off of our church is this mentality that, oh, no, I could never do that. I couldn't have that. No, yes, you can. Right here in the Bay Area. Take advantage of the things that you can have. But here's the thing. God is not just going to Ed McMahon you a house, right? We're just waiting for someone to knock on the door, hand us a set of keys. How about you and I say, what resources are available? What does God have? Because God has it, but he's looking for somebody who can handle it. Touch your neighbor and say, can you handle it? Can you handle it? Can you handle it? Because God wants you to be able to handle it. God doesn't want to ruin you. He wants to bless you. He wants to help you. You see, money without management equals misery. Money without management equals misery. I'm telling you, if you don't get a hold of this and you just let your budget run away with you and you start getting the collectors calling you, you start getting the bills in the mail and then you owe everybody this, that money and you're trying to change your number because everybody knows how to get a hold of you, that's a miserable way to live. And I don't want anybody who's a part of Southridge to live that way. We don't want you to be under that burden. We want to help you with that. And one of the great, great ways we can help you is understand this scripture. Here's the question I have. How did Mary, Martha, and Lazarus get to where they were financially? I guarantee you they worked these principles. I guarantee it. That they understood you got to make money. That they understood that there's a way that money's got to move. That they've got to manage money. But all the while, they had this guy named Judas who's getting mad at them because they worked the money. They made it. They moved it. They managed it. They multiplied it. They had it. And here Judas is criticizing that they don't do anything for the poor. Hold on a second. Judas is in their house. Didn't they have a meal? Weren't they eating? Whose food is Judas eating? Their food, and he's complaining against his host. Sounds like entitlement to me, does it not? We have a very entitled culture. Judas has every ability that they have. You and I have great opportunity. But here's the problem. Judas, as we know, is going to be filled with Satan. And understand, this is how the devil works. The devil, his goal, his objective is to steal, kill, and destroy. Think about it. Go with me on this. Judas, we already are told, is a thief, is he not? You see, when you get into this thinking, I'm telling you, it is devilish, demonic thinking. Number one, stealing. He was, it was known. The scripture tells us he steal. Then the Bible says the devil wants to steal, to kill. What is Judas about to do? He's going to betray Jesus, is he not? For how many pieces of silver? Anybody know? 30 pieces of silver. Deuteronomy tells us 30 pieces of silver is what the cost of an average slave was. You could buy a slave. He didn't even value Jesus as much as he did that cologne, that perfume. That was at least a year's wage. He said, ah, just give me 30 pieces of silver. I'll sell out Jesus. The same price as a common slave. How? Uh, that, that means he held Jesus at very low regard. So here is Judas embodying the characteristics of the devil because he would steal, kill, and you say, what about destroy? Now he's destroying right here. Right now he's destroying. He's trying to criticize everything that's going on. Oh, you should have done this. You should have done that. People like that, you're like, man, I'm just, I'm trying to help out here. But everything I do, you just criticize, you just put, put it down. And you're just like, fine, I'm not going to do anything. Mary, on the other hand, she's embodying all the wonderful attributes that we want. 
She's generous. But then notice, we see that she poured the spikenard on Jesus' feet, and then she took her hair and washed Jesus' feet. That's the act of a servant. Jesus, a few chapters later, is going to wash his disciples' feet. Maybe he got the idea from Mary. I find that generous people are also servants. Many times, some of the most generous people are the most servant-hearted people. Maybe it could be that you're not a servant. And God wants generous people that'll be a servant to others. Sometimes some of the most well-to-do people around you are the ones you would never know because they serve you. They will hold the door open for you, help you fix a flat tire. But yet we are so caught up in our world saying, no, no, I just need the money. No, no, God is all about the management of money. You see, I want to show you something. Judas was focused on ROI. Anybody know what ROI is? You're right. Return on investment. What am I going to get? You know what Mary was all about? I'm going to use a different one for Mary. She was all about E-R-O-I. You know what that stands for? Eternal return on investment. What did, they, what did Jesus say? Hey, you don't have me forever. Now, Jesus is eternal, meaning he had no beginning. He has no end. What he's saying is, Mary, you don't get this opportunity with me in the flesh right here, right now. Take advantage of it. You see, when you and I step back, are you focused on, oh, I just need my ROI, or are you focused on, no, 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 I want some EROI. I want some eternal return on investment. You see, when you work these principles, you say, I'm going to be generous, and I'm going to tithe, and I'm going to be a part of kingdom causes, then you are a part of having an eternal impact. That's what Mary had. And the verse says something profound. I love this. Verse number eight. It says, the poor you always have. But then it says, but me, you do not always have. One translation, it even adds this. It says that this will be spoken as a memorial about Mary for all time. And we're talking about Mary and her act, what she did. Why? Because she realized, here's how you need to manage money. But here's the thing. You see, the reason you don't have money is because you lack management of your money. Management teaches you to live with margin so you can stay on mission. That's what management does. Manage teaches you to live on margin so you could stay on mission. Our church has a mission, leading people to find and follow Jesus. Part of our mission is to build our permanent campus, to have a building of our own so we don't have to stop ministry and delay ministry and we can control our ministry costs. When you rent, you are not in control of your ministry costs. You can control the ministry costs, which means you can allocate more funds for other kingdom impact. That means more goes to our missionaries. That means more goes into our neighborhood partners. That means more money is distributed through this ministry. That's part of our goal, to start a daycare. Those are part of our goal to help out the community. That's part of it. And so our church understands that we need to live on margin. Our church budget, we live on margin. We hire staff, but we got to make sure our staffing doesn't exceed our budget. I've been a part of churches. They let their staff, the budget balloon on staff. Our staff works so hard. They put in extra hours and many times they do it and they don't get fully paid for everything they do because they believe in the mission that we're about and they're generous, kind-hearted people. It's not because nobody wants to, we don't want to pay them. We don't want to take advantage of them. It's because we understand that we got to live on a budget so we can complete the mission. And if you have a mission for your marriage, you have a mission for your family, you need to stay on budget so you don't lose sight of that mission and you live on margin. You see, God wants you to practice some principles and we're laying them out for you. And I'm just going to clarify it. God wants you to practice these principles. First of all, God wants you to be earning. If you're taking notes, write that down. God wants you to be earning. That's number one. Are you earning? You say, well, I got this thing and I got this thing and I got this. Think about ways you can earn. I forgot to bring it up, but if I brought up a uh, aluminum soda can and you look at that aluminum soda can, many of you would see that's a Pepsi can. I don't see a Pepsi can. I see a dime. And if I got 10 Pepsi cans, I see a dollar. And if I got a dollar, I can invest that and that dollar can become something else. You see, you need to change what you look at earning. 
You got a garage filled with stuff, whether you own or whether you rent. You got a garage filled with stuff. That stuff can make you some money. You got a skill. You got a talent. How can you put that to work to earn? God wants you to earn. So it's about earning. Secondly, practice this, honoring. God wants you to be honoring him. We do this through the tithe. I'm going to put this back here so everybody can see it. You see, when it comes to the principles, God wants you to be earning and he wants you to be honoring. This is all about the tithe. I believe that every single person who claims that Southridge Church is their home, you should start with the tithe, 10%. I talked about it. It's a biblical principle. You say, God, I'm giving you first. I'm going to give you 10%. Jane and I, we started with 10 because we said that's the floor. It's not the ceiling. And we started it when we couldn't afford it. When we didn't have, that was still our first check. And can I tell you, God has come through in miraculous ways. And we said, God, I'm going to honor you. And I wish I had time to tell you all the blessings that God does when you honor him. When you say, I'm going to seek you first. Because that's about the kingdom. Honoring him. Secondly, it's not just when it comes to honoring him. We need to earn. We need to honor. But understand this. Also, you need to know when you have enough. Let me park here just for a minute. People will ask me, is it wrong to have things? Does God want me to have a nice car, a nice house, nice clothes? And I'm going to probably rub you the wrong way what I'm about to say. No. It's a no. You say, God doesn't want me to have a nice car? No, but let me explain it. Let me explain it. And here's what I mean. God does not want to bless you with stuff. And let me illustrate this, and I'm going to come back to it. Because we live in a culture that's consumed by consumerism and materialism. When is enough for you? Because we live in a culture where we don't know when we've had enough. And I'm going to offend you, but I'm going to do it in love and my email is Micaiah at Southridge San Jose, so let's talk. Because I care enough about you that you get this principle. Our culture doesn't know when enough is enough with our food. Our culture doesn't know enough is enough with our entertainment. Our culture doesn't know when enough is enough on our clothing. We don't know when we've had enough. We've lost sight of it. As a parent... Jane has helped me with this because I'm the spender, she's the saver. I keep our family fun, she keeps us safe. Okay, that's how our role works. And she's brought me more to the safe side and I brought her more to the fun side in 15 years of marriage and we're a good balance now. So when it comes time for holidays and birthdays, I don't go to Target, I don't go to Toys R Us like we used to have it. Now Toys R Us is in Macy's. How sad is that? My childhood is now in Macy's in a small little corner. But she said, I would rather give our kids not stuff because to a child, enough is never enough. She said, I would rather give them an experience. You see, God is not so concerned with blessing you with stuff as he is with his presence. God would rather be with you than give you stuff. Now, if God gives you stuff, praise God for it. He gave it to you. And if you have it, don't feel guilty about it. But when is enough? Because we live in a culture that doesn't know what enough is. We have to replace a car every 18 months. We have to replace shoes because they got creased. We have to replace our spouses because we got bored after four or five years. Have I offended you yet? I'll get to yours. We get bored with the relationship and we give them the boot. We get bored with church and with God and I won't see you again. Because we don't know when is enough because we are consumed by consumerism and God is trying to get you to the point that you don't know when enough is enough. You need to learn to earn, to honor enough, but then also you do need to learn how to enjoy. Write that word down. God wants me to enjoy. The Bible says he's given us all things richly to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy it. But what I notice, people that are consumed with enough don't know how to enjoy what they have. Yeah. Yeah. And you know it. 
You're going to go to a feast this week. Whether you are broke or have some money, you're going to find food somewhere. And you're going to stuff yourself and you're going to be like, oh my goodness. And you're not going to enjoy it. Because our culture overindulges every single day. So we don't know what a cheat day is like. Are you kidding me? You had a cheat year. That's your life. And we wonder why we have all these medical problems. Because we don't know how to know when enough is enough. I want to say a joke about salads, but I'm going to let it go. Understand, when it comes to what God wants for you, God wants you to enjoy things, but our culture can't enjoy it because we are consumed by the next experience. I got to travel this country and I got to travel here and I got to fly here and I got to drive this and I have to have this career and I got to look this part. And then you never enjoy any of it because you're miserable because you are trying to find enjoyment out of these things. And God is telling with godliness, with contentment is great gain. But we don't know that. We don't understand when enough. Here's the secret that Mary discovered. The Bible says she broke the alabaster box. She poured it all on the feet of Jesus. And something happened, something beautiful. She emptied herself. She emptied. But I want you to see this. I'm, I'm over time again. But I want you to go back to the verse that we were teaching on. Verse number three. The Bible says Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair. And the Bible says the house was filled with the fragrance of oil. When you empty yourself, you are filling other things. She took a little, the Bible says in Matthew, it was an alabaster box. An alabaster jar, I looked it up, it'd be a small jar, it wouldn't be very big. It would be a little bit larger than a man's cologne bottle. And the Bible says she broke it. And because she broke it, what was once, you would take a little dab. You would just take a little bit. You just, just a little bit. What she did, she said, no, I'm going to break it. I'm going to empty myself. And she filled a larger container. God wants you to empty your little container and fill a larger container. That's what God wants for you. But it'll never happen if you are focused on, I've never had enough. And we live in a culture that is never satisfied. There's a runaway with this, not just inflation, but there's this runaway with consume, consume, consume. Try taking away an iPad from your seven-year-old who's been on it for 45 minutes. Get ready. I hope you have knee pads on, a helmet, and maybe a little rubber bat, okay? Because you're about to go to war getting that iPad. And you and I are no better. You and I are no better. And I'm speaking to myself here. Because we don't know, we, as a culture, we don't, we don't know what is enough. And we're consumed by, I've got to have more. I need more. God, just keep giving it to you. Keep giving it to me. And God is saying, if you would honor me, then you could enjoy these things. I have to step back and I have to say, God, my wife is healthy. My three kids are healthy. I have a roof over my head. My bills are paid. You're blessing the ministry. I'm content. And I have to discipline myself. And it's amazing that then when the blessings come, I actually enjoy it. Yeah. Some of you can go to a Hawaiian vacation. You're miserable. Because you travel all the time. And you're just waiting for the next thrill, waiting for the next thing. You're like, it doesn't work. Waiting for the next relationship, next career, next job. And you don't know when God is enough because God wants him to be enough. And if you're saying, well, I don't know what that's like, then you push in and you press in and say, God, what is it like that you would be something that I would desire like Mary desired you? Mary just wanted to be with Jesus. The Bible says it was six days before he went to the cross. And there Mary is just saying, I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I got Jesus for this moment. And I don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow but today you've got Jesus what are you going to do with him are you just going to come to church and just say ah oh, that's fine I don't really need him I don't really care understand this is our hearts God is not after your money because he has all that he needs he's trying to get a hold of your heart because your heart is connected to your account and you've got it password protected and God is like trying to say hey it, I don't need it but I want you to just release it I'll close with this illustration. I took my kids to the movie theater. We don't go often, but I take them and whatever we go, they get their Slurpee, they get their popcorn, they like butter, I like kettle corn, but I let them get butter. As long as we can buy a little bit of candy, we take the candy, we dump it in there, or I give them a little box of Sour Patch. So we're sitting there, we're watching the movie, 
I'm enjoying it. I'm sitting there. I bought everybody's tickets. Took out a mortgage on the house to go to the movie theater. I'm like, all right, let's watch our movie. And then I reach over, not to the popcorn. I reach into the little box of candy. And I'm going to take some candy for my seven-year-old. Do you know what my seven-year-old says to me? After I just took out a second mortgage, go take him to the movie theater, bought him popcorn, got him a slushie, and got him the candy? Mine. What? Mine. No, I'm just going to hide it. The flesh wanted to, all right? The flesh wanted to. But the flesh is weak, you know? Something, all right? Too many witnesses. I'll get you at home. No, just kidding. Don't call Child Protective Services. But I looked at him and I was like, seriously? You're going to say mine? You see, what my son failed to realize is that I can buy him movie tickets every week. I can buy him popcorn every week. I can buy him candy. I could probably fill up his room two feet high, filled with candy, and make a YouTube video out of it. I could do that. But with his heart saying, mine, it closed off my heart towards him as well. His reaction closed my heart, not his. Is your reaction to God actually closing off his heart towards you? He knows that you're praying for a career. And this is not a bait and switch where you're like, okay, God, I will like you until I get that raise. And then as soon as I get the raise, it's mine. God is trying to teach you a lifestyle of generosity where you're just hands off. We're just saying, God, the Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That needs to be our heart. I have help today, amen. I may not have it tomorrow. I have legs today, I may not tomorrow. I have three beautiful kids today, I may not tomorrow. I have a wonderful wife and a great marriage today, I may not have it tomorrow. I'm with you today, I may not get tomorrow. So I'm gonna do everything I can to say, this is enough right here, right now. But you and I, if we are consumed and we take our cues from culture, Enough is never enough. And you will be searching, trying to find enjoyment because here's the reality. We all are trying to get to enjoyment, but we don't understand to have this, you have to practice this, 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 and this. And you will find enjoyment. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Lord, There is so much here and there's certainly not enough time. And God, I believe there's a powerful principle that you wanna unlock. If we will make it, if we will move it, we will manage it and multiply it your way, then we can understand that we have enough. So Father, I pray for these amazing people. Lord, I I pray that you would help them to understand that yes, you're gonna give them good things, but we cannot focus that that is what the sum total of life is all about, these good things. But when you give it to to us, we can enjoy them. But help us to learn what enough is. Heads bowed and eyes closed. I just want to be able to pray for our church. We're coming into the holidays and every TV commercial, every Spotify ad, every YouTube pop-up, every piece of mail, every magazine you're going to get is going to tell you that you need to buy something, have something because it's going to be the December to remember sale and you're going to just be inundated with things. And then there's going to be things you want to do. And I'm just wanting to pray that you would just have the spirit to say, okay, Lord, help me to discern what what you want me to do with my finances. And if if you're there, you... I just want to pray for you. I don't want to beat you up and feel like, man, you're not doing it right. I've messed up far more than most people financially and it's only by the goodness and mercy and grace of God that I'm where I am. And I just want to pray for you. If you say, you know what, Pastor, these principles are new and I'm struggling with it. I want to pray for you. Is that you? You just slip up your hand. Can I pray for you? Anybody like that? Oh, I see those hands. Oh, amen. God bless you. Thank you for your honesty. I see those hands. Oh, amen. Yes, amen. God bless you. God bless you. 
I know it's difficult starting, but starting anything new is difficult. So I wanna pray for those that you say, yeah, I need to do better with this. And you're at the right place. So let me just pray for you. God, there are these wonderful people who raise their hands saying they want to change the way they handle their finances. And so Father, I, I pray that first and foremost, that debt would not be something that would be a part of their story. I pray that you would help them to get out of debt, number one. So if there's student loans here, I just pray that you provide for those. Lord, if there is heavy credit card debt, I pray that you would give them the, just the discipline to cut those up and to get those paid off. I pray for those that are dealing with unforeseen bills that, Lord, they're trying to practice these principles of earning, honoring, and enough and enjoyment and emptying. But God, these things catch us all by surprise. So Father, would you show up in a special and unique way to provide and meet that need? Lord, I also just pray that there's gonna be some that this is gonna be the first time that they're gonna practice the tithe and they're scared like I was and they didn't think they would have the money. And yet God, I know that you can show them that you're gonna provide because you are our provider. And so I pray that as they take these steps that they would see that you are gonna meet them there and you're gonna bless them. But God, even beyond just the tithe, I pray that as we grow and as we enter maybe the work field for some of them, starting careers, that they would practice this, not a thought or an idea, but they would live out generosity. And you would help them to be some of the most generous people, not just in our ministry, but to their neighbors, their coworkers, and their family. And I pray that you'd bless them. In Jesus' name I pray and all God's people said, Amen. Hey, it's Thanksgiving week, and I really hope and pray you have an amazing week, and I'm so glad you're here. Would you do me a favor? Would you greet somebody and wish them a happy Thanksgiving on your way out? God bless you. Go in peace. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. If this message inspired you and helped you, we would love for you to hit like, subscribe, or share it with someone today. Until next time, have a great day.